for it, and I know you are too. And thank you for the prayer which you've led us in. It's a good way to start our Bible class. That's the way we start Bible classes here. We start them with prayer. And we're always very happy that we can begin with a song like we have today. And we're certainly happy to have everyone with us that's following online. We have a number of people that are following along with us, and they're involved in our Bible study. And every now and then, somebody will uh, meet me or talk to me or call me or text me or something like that, saying that they're following online. And I'm very grateful that we have that medium where others can learn and we can all study together. However, it's not like being here in person. And if you're able to be here in person, I encourage you to come and be with us and engage in a proactive way in our Bible classes. Our Bible classes are designed so that you can ask questions and make comments, and it's sort of unofficial. I know I'm standing up here in front of you, but still, in an unofficial way, you can make comments and questions. And this is the forum whereby you can ask uh, what question you want, and maybe we can help you with that or... or consider other views. We want to do that as well. This is the venue whereby we can do that particular thing. And I find myself today in Jeremiah chapter 44. We've covered a lot of material. We've covered a lot of ground, haven't we, in this great book of Jeremiah, largest book in the Old Testament. Now, Isaiah has 66 chapters, but there are more words in Jeremiah than there are in Isaiah. It's the largest book. So when you've gone through Isaiah, and you've gone through Jeremiah like we have, we've just about finished Jeremiah, then you have covered a lot of material of the Old Testament. And I don't know of two greater books to study than Isaiah and Jeremiah. If I had my choice of only one Old Testament book to study, if that's all I could know, if that's all I had, give me Isaiah. It talks more about the kingdom, the Messiah, prophecies about the Messiah than any other Old Testament book any other Old Testament prophet. And then, of course, a, a close second to that would be Jeremiah because the faithfulness of Jeremiah, uh, the dedication, the courage of Jeremiah is a lesson for us all. I mean, the faith that this man had with regard to the obstacles that he faced. And God warned him in the very beginning, chapter 1, that they would not listen. But he wanted them to hear the message and hear the message they did by means of Jeremiah. And what other prophet has suffered like Jeremiah did? Now, a number of times in the pages of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, God will say, you know, I sent them my servants, the prophets. There were a lot of prophets that were sent. And then Jesus would say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest and killest the prophets. Uh, Israel was um, hard-hearted and rebellious. And I suppose we see that in no better way than in our study of the book of Jeremiah and how the people of God rejected uh, the message. Uh, we noticed that in our study last Wednesday night in chapter 43. Chapter 43, they were asking the question, 42 and 43, the remnant, the small remnant is left in Jerusalem. Now, they've taken everybody. Anybody that is of value, any tradesman, any important people, that kind of thing, have gone to Babylon, or they have died. And then they just left a little group here, this remnant in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is destroyed. And Jeremiah prophesied and told them that this was going to happen. And so now, what are we going to do? And of course, God told them. Jeremiah said, went to the Lord, and the Lord gave him the message 10 days later. And he said, uh, stay right here in the land. If you'll stay here in the land, you'll prosper. 
I will give you security. I'll give you comfort. I will provide for you. You'll build and you grow and you live here in Jerusalem. Now notice in 43 and verse 2. 43. My message, my lesson today is 44. But as you know, I like to go back and pick up a point or two here. In 43 and verse 2, Azariah the son of Hashiah and Jehanan son of Kareath and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. Now how they could say that to Jeremiah, I do not know, but they did. They did it out of hardness of heart. You are telling a lie. We're not going to stay here. We're not going to do what God said do. Originally, they went to Jeremiah and said, you know, inquire of the Lord. Tell us what we should do. Let the Lord tell us what to do. Now, that should be the question of us all. What does the Lord want us to do? And we go to the scripture and we find out. Here, these people started out with, I suppose, good intentions, but they ended up in a very rebellious note, and they go to Egypt. And that's what 43 is about. 43 is about this little remnant that's left migrating to Egypt, thinking that they're going to find some kind of um, safety there and security there. Now, I offered a position, and I don't know that it's exactly the right one, but I'm convinced that these people are thinking. You wonder, why would they do that after all God has done for them? And in ancient times, in the mind of ancient man, he probably thinks, they do, God's not able to help us anymore. God wasn't strong enough to do it. So we need to go to another nation that has other gods. And so that's why they're going to the nation of Egypt. God told them not to. Moses told them not to back in the book of Deuteronomy. But yet they do it anyway. I'm thinking in their mind, they think God has failed us. God cannot help us. God cannot, he's not powerful enough to protect us and care for us. As false as that is, and as much of a lie as Satan has put into their heart, that's probably the way they are thinking. People think today, God just can't do it. Uh, They don't have faith in God and trust in God and confidence in God as they should. That brings me to chapter 44. And that's my lesson for today. The remnant's course. Exactly how's this thing turning out? And we see that this remnant has gone to uh, the nation of Egypt. Yes, sir. It seems then, even now, you know, people don't change, but the Israelites seem like they were just living in the moment. Whatever happens now. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, that Marvin makes a good point there. It seems like they're living in the moment. Marvin is saying that it seems like these people have forgotten all the wonderful things God has done for them and uh, all that God has provided for them and all that God has said for them. And they seem to be living in the present. And I think that's the same problem we have today. We, yeah, what have you done for me lately? And so I think that that's the... Um, attitude that a lot of people have. You know, human nature has not changed. Human beings are still human beings, and we still have the same problems. And that's why we're encouraged to go to the Old Testament and learn these valuable lessons so that we can avoid those mistakes and those problems. And that's what we endeavor to do here. So human beings still make the same mistake. What are you doing for me now? And uh, have not seen, really, don't have the long-range view of things like they should. Well, I call this the remnant's course, and we're going to see how the remnant, now this is the remnant that came from Jerusalem. You have, a, you have the people that went to Babylonian captivity, will remain there for 70 years. In 515 B.C., they will come back. That is called the remnant. 
But now you have a small remnant here left in Jerusalem. They decide to go to Egypt, which God told them not to, but they did anyway. And so this chapter, as I mentioned before, is kind of a complicated chapter, 44. I will say this. This is the last time we meet Jeremiah, chapter 44. And so this becomes a pretty crucial, pretty important chapter for us, chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah for all the Jews living in the land of Egypt. Now, we studied that earlier. Those who were living in Migdal, uh, Tephanes, and again, that's a hard word to pronounce properly, Memphis and the land of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You yourselves have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are in ruins, and no one lives in them because of their wickedness which they committed so as to provoke me to anger. I'll stop right there. I'm in the middle of verse 3. And so we see he begins to talk about the past punishment which God had given them. And they, it was deserving. Now, you and I have talked about this punishment point before. And it bears bringing out again, God is just in the punishment which he gives. Now, you know, sometimes it, with our children, we get exasperated with them, we get frustrated with them, and out of emotion, we might end up having to punish them. When we probably should have done something earlier, we let it go on and go on, and then finally, all right, that's it, I've had enough. I'm stopping the car, and I'm going to give you kids a, a spanking back here. Anyway, we probably should have done something sooner. We punish out of emotion sometimes, out of frustration. God doesn't do that. God's punishment is a just punishment. God's punishment is appropriate. And, and there are a number of Bible passages that talk about the just punishment of God. One that I'm thinking of, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But I won't go there, but there are a number. Romans chapter 3. I mean, these passages are saying God is just in the punishment. It, it's appropriate what is justice but giving the criminal his due, what he's got coming? The wages of sin is death, Paul says in the book of Romans. And so it's what we have earned. This is what they have earned. The point that I'm trying to elaborate upon with regard to his point about the past punishment is that the punishment was just and that the prophets warned and that they're getting what they have earned. They're getting what they deserve. And so he says, you have provoked me to anger. I couldn't put up with this any longer. And that's what that word provoke is conveying. Now, another word that comes up uh, that is closely related to that is um, endure. And I'm going to talk about the word endure as it's translated here in our chapter 44 in a little bit when I get to it. But here's another one that's closely related to that word, provoked. I couldn't put up with it anymore. There comes a point in time where God says, enough is enough. That's it. No more. And God yanks the rug out from underneath people and nations and civilizations. And we've seen it through the course of history that God has said, enough is enough. And that's the end of it. I think that's his point here as he's recounting the punishment of the children of Israel, the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts. I talked about the word hosts last Wednesday night 
and how that's a really interesting word and how that conveys the idea of the stars and the moon and the planets and the universe. God is God of all of it. He's the God of hosts. He's described here as the Lord of hosts. And I've mentioned several times about how that word is spelled. So when I come across the word Lord in the Bible, I take a second to look at how they print that word. Large capital L, smaller capital O-R-D. This is the covenant name for God. And that's what we have. This, the covenant, the God of the covenant, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, you yourselves have seen all the calamity because their wickedness which they committed so as to provoke me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices and to serve other gods whom they have not known, neither they, you, nor your fathers. And so this is the problem. God is right up front with regard. This is the problem. Now, if you go to a psychologist today, a psychiatrist, and these are good men and women who have trained in special fields and that kind of thing, and perhaps it might be needful to visit one of them. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a counselor type person. But there are people who are very trained and skilled, and they have to sit and listen and listen and try to figure out what the problem is. And sometimes the people don't know what the problem is. They come and they listen and they talk and they talk and this person is analyzing and he's listening carefully and, and that's a very valid thing to help people with. But you don't have to do that with regard to the Bible. God's going to tell you what the problem is. This is the problem. The problem is that you were guilty of sin. Verse 3 says, because of. The because of is telling us this is what the problem is. And I want to tell you, I don't know everybody, and I don't even know most of everybody. <laughs> but a lot of these problems go back to sin, personal sin in our lives, feelings of guilt. We didn't get rid of the guilt. We tried to get rid of the guilt our way rather than God's way. When we do God's will, we can get rid of the guilt. Now, that's an old preacher coming forward with that particular matter, and it's probably a very simplistic type of answer with regard to the psychological and personal problems that people have, but that's still the truth. Get rid of the guilt God's way and live the worry-free, happy life, which is what God wants for you, and you can have that by following God's Word faithfully. I'm in verse 3. Because of their wickedness, which they committed so as to provoke me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices to serve other gods whom they have not known, verse 3, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing which I hate. Don't do it. Don't do it. But yet we see that they would refuse the matter of the message of God. But they did not listen or incline uh, their ears to turn from their wickedness so as not to burn sacrifices to other gods. They're worshiping other gods. They're worshiping false gods, false deities, which really don't exist, but only in their own imagination. They created them in their own minds. Um, but they did not listen or incline their ears to turn from their wickedness. Therefore, now in a preliminary type way, when I was introducing a little bit of chapter 44, I picked out a number of these uh, phrases and words that he uses over and over again because 
there are signposts for us to pick up on. It's probably a little easier to see it in the original, but in the English now it, it might get past us. But when he, he's going to say, therefore, and then, and because, and that comes up over and over again in this chapter. This is one of those therefores in verse 6. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, so they have become a ruin and a desolation as it is this day. And so that's why you've suffered the way you have. I have done this. God says, I did this for a reason. And the reason that I have done this is because of your continued wickedness and your refusal to listen to my servants, the prophets. Now, he calls them that quite a bit. That's a common thing for God to refer to the prophet. My servants, the prophets. And we see that phrase coming up over and over again, in the, in, even in this book here. And we saw it here in this verse 4. Yet I sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again. The prophets were God's servants. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and I agree. I, I think you're right. I think the point that you're bringing up is the fact that we try to deal with sin our way. And, and you picked up a very common, brought up a very common attempt, and that is just forget about it. And just put it in the background. And if we give it enough time, we'll probably forget about it. But it comes up to bite us later unresolved sin in our life. Now, that's the thing that bugs me. This is easy to take care of. Now, I know repentance is hard. I, I get that. Repentance is a hard thing. To change what I've been doing, to change, to make things right. Uh, I did the wrong thing. Now I want to make this thing right. And I'm sure that's a hard thing. It's, it's hard. But at the same time, it's so much easier and better than to let this thing build up and build up over the course of time, and now I've got a real emotional problem because I have unresolved sin in my life. Now, I don't want you to think I'm some kind of counselor up here. I'm not. So don't come to me for counseling because I'm not a good counselor. Um, my approach to counseling is really rather simple, and you need a professional, and I'm not. And my approach to counseling is number one. 
Do you want to know what the Bible says about this? Number two, are you willing to do what the Bible says about this? Number three, are you willing to do what the Bible says about this right now? Now, I've had a lot of people say yes to one and two, and then they hedge on three. They hedge on it. And I tell I don't know that I can help you. I can tell you what the Bible says about this problem. I can tell you what the Bible says you need to do about this problem. But now only you can decide what you're going to do if you're going to do it and do it right now. Only you can decide that. I can't do that. Now, that's a pretty simple approach to counseling and counseling problems. And that's the kind of guy I am. I'm a simple-minded guy, especially when it comes to these things. So when, if there is a real problem, go seek out a doctor. Go seek out a professional. I encourage you to do that. If the doctor prescribes medication, take your medication. I, I encourage you to do that. Sometimes there's a chemical imbalance as the answer to these particular issues. But a lot of it has to do with personal sin and a failure to take responsibility for my mistakes and my actions. If I just do that, it would make things a whole lot simpler and then change my way. Now, I had a point here. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot different when God punishes, isn't it? And uh, it's like you use the term collateral damage. There's no collateral damage here. The right person gets the right punishment. And, uh, you know, Lady Justice is blind. You see her with the scales and a blindfold. But that's not the way it is with God and his judgment. He knows exactly. He knows exactly how to appropriate the just uh, chastisement and punishment as it is deserved. We will not hide anything from God. We will not. Uh, yes, ma'am. The other day I was answering a question on the Bible to this person. Yes, ma'am. And I kind of not really know, but I know how Jesus must have felt when they were won't just tear him apart and all. Mm -hmm. I can tell that this person, they, they were so hateful to me and everything, but I told them, I said, it's not what I say. Yeah. It's what God says, and you need to read the Bible. Yeah. And well, you gave them good advice. And that's, you know, that's yeah. all I could yeah, exactly. You've given them good advice. And that they do need to read the Bible, because that's where the answer is. Well, that's a good point. Somebody else along these lines. Anybody? I'm in uh, verse 6, and I was looking at that. Therefore, the wrath of God and my anger... Two different words here, but it really shows the disposition of God toward their sin and toward these people. My wrath and my anger. So this is very serious matter. We're poured out and burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Now then, and that's one of those signal words that I saw in this chapter. Now then, thus says the Lord God of hosts. There it is again, Lord God of hosts. Uh, the God of Israel, why are you doing great harm to yourselves? You know, that's a pretty cogent question right there. And I think his point moves now from the past punishment to the current condition. 
Why are you doing this to yourself? Why do you continue to do the wrong thing? Why do you continue to hurt yourself the way you are? Yes, sir. Uh, we know before, as we've been studying this, this whole book, right. that this verse was mentioned earlier just about word for word. Yeah. In chapter 7, verse 20, yeah. he says just about the same thing when he begins this. Right, right. This Yeah. Well, his point, Marvin's point is God's been saying this all along, even before the city was destroyed, even before the nation was destroyed. And now he's saying it again uh, after the nation and the city has been destroyed. And I think that's uh, the fact of the cogency of God's word. He told them and he's telling them again, why do you continue to do this? Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. Why are you doing great harm to yourself? And I have to stop and ask the question, you know, why do we do that? Why do we do great harm to ourselves when we know what's right? Why don't we do it? I mean, I know it's not an easy thing to change. I understand about repentance and the need to repent. But the point of it is, it's so much easier to do that than to have to face the consequences of not doing it. Why do we continue to do harm to ourselves so as to cut off from you man and woman and child and infant from among Judah, leaving yourselves without remnant. Self-imposed pain. Don't do it. Don't continue to uh, hurt yourself and harm yourself so needlessly, simply out of faith. Follow uh, the word of the Lord. Don't open the door to evil. Refuse it, provoking me to anger, verse 8, with the works of your hands burning sacrifices to other gods in the land of Egypt where you were entering to reside so that you might be cut off and become a curse and a reproach among all the nations of, of the earth. The Hebrew does this. It, it repeats itself um, in a way. Hebrew is a simple language, in a way. It repeats itself. It continues to... Greek is more, much more of a complex language. Uh, but this is a, in a way, if you can get past <laughs> the consonants and the vowels, then, of course, it seems like, you know, I see what he's saying. Because it repeats itself. And I, I would say it does that for emphasis' sake. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah and the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of their wives? which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Well, what is he doing in verse 9 but summarizing their history? Have you forgotten what's been going on here for the last 200 years? Have you forgotten this? And what uh, he says, the wickedness of your kings. Can you think of a wicked king or two that we have studied from Israel that um, had led the people away into idolatry and that kind of thing? One comes to my mind is Manasseh. Manasseh was a wicked king. He had a couple of good kings, Hezekiah, Josiah. We've studied about those kings. But he says, now look at, look at what the kings have done for you. The kings of Judah. Now, there were kings of northern Israel. There were kings of Judah. Northern Israel did not have one good king, starting from Jeroboam all the way to the end of it. The kings of Judah, there were a few good kings in the south, but not many. Most of them were wicked as well. And... And still, he says, have you forgotten that? The wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah? 
and the wickedness of their wives, their, their own wickedness, the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. But they have not become contrite even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law or my statutes, which I have set before you and before your fathers. Verse 10, this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the cause of their shame. They fail to follow the word of God, and they fail to live by the word of God. This translation uses the word contrite, verse 10, but they have not become contrite. You may have a different word there. It simply means regret. Even in the days, nor have they learnt, feared. Uh, there was no regret, there was no fear, and there was what? Disobedience. So he's kind of summing up the way it was in the past. Have you forgotten all this? How that it was a time where there was no regret? With regard to the sin that you committed, there is no fear, there is no disobedience. And that's one of the hardest things, I think, that a person has to deal with. If I'm trying to help somebody, like you're trying to help somebody study the Bible, that kind of thing, if they don't feel regret, if they don't feel it, it's going to be hard to get them to move away from the position that they are in. Now, the person who comes to me and says, I'm, I feel so ashamed that's good. Now you've got something to work with. I'll tell you how to get that shame is a way of God saying you need to change. If you have shame in your life, if you have regret in your life, if you have guilt and you feel that guilt, that's a good thing. Now we're getting ready to get rid of that. Yes, sir. Right. And then we address it, you know. Well, we don't address it. We just barely take the band-aid off, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, that's the way I see it. I see that we've got to deal with our problems. I see God doing that on the nations, on the national basis with regard to the children of Israel. And I think that that's what God has told us to do. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus would say. He would say, Paul would say, now God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's a big word. Don't just gloss over the word repent. That's a hard thing to do. Now, we emphasize baptism. And well, we should. I just don't see how you could overemphasize the importance of immersion in water for forgiveness. But we cannot neglect repentance. That's as much a part of the gospel plan of salvation as baptism. And we may have, in some quarters, have tried to do that. We cannot forget the essentiality of repenting from our sins. And that's the hard part. Changing is a hard part. Yes, sir, you had a comment, question for yeah, fear God, keep his commandments. 
This is the whole matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God there has, means to have respect for God. Well, these people didn't have that. Um, he says here in verse 10, particularly, they did not have a contrite heart. I use the word regret there. They didn't have any regret, uh, nor have they feared. Uh, fear here means respect, have a respect for God. Uh, to fear God means to have a radical respect for God. Uh, there is an element of trepidation in that. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But the point is, don't take the element of fear out of it. But the thrust of the word conveys the idea of have a radical respect for God and God's word. Well, they didn't have that. And I'm trying to understand what the word fear means. And then they were just disobedient. They would not walk. Walk is a metaphor, which means to live. They would not live according to the way of the, of the uh, law. Now, it's described here as law. It's described as statutes. Do we have law and statutes today of the Lord? Yes, we do. Galatians chapter 6, James chapter 2, the passages go on and on. Romans chapter 3 about the law of faith. Uh, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, uh, the perfect law of liberty, James would talk about. Don't get the idea that we don't live under law today. We do. I mean, this is a day of grace, but there's the human side and there's the divine side. The divine side is a matter of grace. The human side is a matter of obedience, and that I've got a responsibility to obey the law of Christ. And if we say there is no law, then we'd have to say there is no sin, for sin is a transgression of the law. So don't get the idea that we don't live under law today. There's always been a law for God's people no matter when it was. Patriarchy, mosaical, or the Christian dispensation. God's people has al have always been given positive law, divine law. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, there it is again in verse 11. Behold, I'm going to set my face against you for woe, even to cut off all Judah. Now, that's just a biblical way of saying, I'm not going to bless you anymore. Uh, I'm going to take my face away from you is just a Hebrew way of saying, I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to be there for you. Uh, I'm going to set my face against you for woe. Anthropomorphic type of language. Speaking of God in human terms. God, strictly speaking, literally speaking, doesn't have a face. But to help us understand the relationship between God and his people in this particular time, he's saying, I'm not going to have a relationship with you anymore. I'm not going to bless you. Isaiah talks about the same thing. Isaiah 57. Um, is quite a remarkable chapter in that regard. It's a sad, sad situation to be in, but it happens when people don't follow the Word of God, when people no longer are sensitive and obedient and submissive to God's divine will. He takes His face from them. He's no longer there for them and with them. And the New Testament is very clear about the matter. And it uses phrases like, we must be in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and also verse 7, to be in this new relationship with God. We must be in Him. And I always like the way that it's phrased that way because it shows here's where the blessings are. 
The blessings are in Christ. Well, we're talking about this verse 11, and he's talking about taking his face away from them, and I will take away the remnant of Judah who have uh, set their mind on erring, entering the land of Egypt to reside there. And they will all meet their end in the land of Egypt. They will fall by the sword and meet their end by famine. Both small and great will die by the sword and famine, and they will become a curse an object of horror, an imprecation, and a reproach. New American Standard Bible that I'm reading out of uses that word quite a bit. Imprecation, it simply means curse. They are a curse. And so we're working on this second section, their current condition. And that's the best way that I know to describe this rather lengthy paragraph. And I saw it going on down through verse 14, so let me continue for a minute. And I will punish those who live in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence, verse 14. So there will be no refugees or survivors for the remnant of Judah who have entered the land of Egypt to reside there and then to return to the land of Judah to which they are longing to return and live for none will return except a few refugees." That's an interesting way to put that. I wonder what he has in mind. Now, nobody's going to survive this except a few. Who are the few? Jeremiah is one of them. The people who didn't want to go there to begin with, but they were forced to go. Jeremiah was one. He didn't want to go, and he told the people not to go to Egypt. They were in Jerusalem. Yes, they were just a small group now because of all the things that had taken place. But he's saying, don't go to Egypt. Egypt's not going to help us. God will help us. Put your confidence in God and your faith in God. And they wouldn't do it. And so God says, all of you are going to die. And there will be no refugees except just a few. And the few that he has in mind are those who were forced to go, who didn't want to go to begin with them in verse 14. For none will return except a few This translation tries to help you out, you see. Refugees, those left over. Now, maybe there's a comment or question that I missed from anybody. Well, I think it applies to us today, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're spiritual Israel today that we need to remind ourselves of being faithful and devoted to God. Otherwise, we're going to face the wrath of God, and you don't want it. This time, the punishment of God will be eternal condemnation. The punishment of God then for these Old Testament people was Babylonian captivity for 70 years. This time, the punishment of God will be eternal condemnation forever. And that's what eternal means, ever and ever. And you don't want it. You don't want it. All right, somebody else along these particular lines. Did I hear a bell ring? One bell? One bell. Okay. Now, y'all stop me when the two bell, second bell comes up because I don't want to go over. I don't want to go over. And I'll do it in a minute if, if you're not watching. The next paragraph division is persistent rebellion, verses 15 through 25, 15 through 19. And um, that's a pretty good place to stop. I don't know if we'll be able to do all that we need to do. It. Notice how the verse begins, then. So you've got several, several little triggers here, several little signposts that kind of help us understand what's going on in a rather complicated chapter. Yes, sir. Sir, I'm sorry I didn't hear. Isn't this how the 
The last part I can't seem to hear. Oh, carries on. Yeah, that probably so. But now the house of David's also in Babylon, remember. So it's not just these refugees that's part of the house of David. The house of David's also in Babylon, captivity. And so, yes, good question. Thank you for that. Uh, that needs clarification. The house of David and the descendants of David are in Babylon right now. And you got some pretty powerful people over there. You got Daniel. You got Ezekiel, you got Ezra, you got Nehemiah, you got Zerubbabel. You got some pretty powerful people over in Babylon in which time they're going to be allowed to come back by the will of God and restart again, building the walls, build, rebuilding the temple and that kind of thing. You've got Esther. You got some pretty powerful people in Babylon right now. So the house of David is still there. Well, that's a good question. Somebody else? Yes, sir. Well, I, I think your comments are very appropriate. I think they're very appropriate, and that is the fact that there have been many who fall away. There have been many who were unfaithful in our own day. And I think uh, we all can see and, and think about people we know that should be but aren't and could be but won't and that sort of thing even today. That's the way human beings are, I suppose. God gave us this free will to decide whether we will do it or not do it, and some have chosen not to do it. And what a sad thing it is for us. It, it breaks all of our hearts. But what does it do to the great heart and the mind of God? It breaks his heart when people will not remain faithful. And then there comes a time when they will receive the just compensation of their reward. And, um, and that's going to be a sad thing. So you're very, I think your comments are very appropriate. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's giving me the signal that two bells have rung. And so given, the, given our, our class time, I guess I'm going to have to end it right here. We'll pick this up Wednesday night, Lord willing. 